Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. To begin today, I'd like to ask you to respond to a series of questions with the first answer that comes to your mind, just reflexively. Uh, Don't think about the moral implications of your answer, just the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, here we go. Uh, There's a reorganization happening at your place of employment. Uh, Your boss says your job is going away, but good for you, there are two other positions that you can apply for. Uh, One would represent a promotion, uh, the other would represent a demotion. Which interests you more? The promotion, right? Okay, so you get the promotion, and this means you're going to move offices. Uh, There are two offices that you can move into. The decor is about the same. They're on the same floor. Uh, But one is 24 square feet bigger. Uh, Do you want the bigger office or the smaller office? (laughs) The bigger office, right? Uh, At this new managerial level, you have access to the executive dining room, which means you don't have to eat the ordinary food down in the ordinary cafeteria. Executive dining or ordinary cafeteria? Executive dining, right? And at your new managerial level, you can fly business class instead of the back of the plane with crying babies. So when you go to the airport, which are you going to choose? Business class, right? I mean, we could go on in this little series of questions, but I think you see the pattern. Uh, Especially in the U.S., we have an almost incurable pull up and to the right. Uh, We really do believe that if we can climb the ladder, what's going to await us on the other side is joy or some sense of soul satisfaction, peace, good times, or whatever. And so we're oriented up and to the right. It's very deeply ingrained. So much so that when we experience anything that is to the right and down, uh, we get into a little funk, like there uh, can be no peace or joy if you're going down and to the right. I mean, that's the worst thing that could possibly happen to anyone. Now, the writers of scripture would want everyone to kind of step back and question how true that analysis is. The writers of scripture in many places give strong warnings to the dangers inherent in an up and to the right life. Uh, They would say prosperity has diseased many more souls than adversity ever does. The writers of scripture would say, every time you go up and to the right, you're in increasingly dangerous territory when it comes to the health of your spirit, your relationship with God, and sometimes the relationships with other people. Because you get addicted to to power and achievement and you think of yourself more highly than you should and you wonder why all the other people aren't as smart as you are. Pretty soon, you don't need God. Uh, You don't need the spouse that helped you get there. You don't have time for your kids anymore. It's all up and to the right. And it doesn't so much lead to joy, the writers of scripture say. Uh, Most of the time it leads to arrogance and an independent spirit and sometimes an ungrateful spirit. Not all the time, but much of the time it does. And that's why Jesus said, if you're starting to gain the whole world, you better be very careful. 
you could lose your soul along the way. And by the same token, the writers of scripture say it's often not the end of the world if your chart goes down. Sometimes as your chart goes down, your openness to God goes up. Sometimes as your chart goes down, uh, your reliance on other people, your willingness to engage in relationships of interdependency, sometimes that opens up a lot more when the chart is going down. And if you care about qualities like humility, vulnerability, dependence, and gentleness, it's more likely to happen when you're going down than when you're going up. Now, with this as a backdrop, we're gonna talk through what I think is one of the most substantial passages in all of the Bible about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It's a famous passage that informs us that Jesus left the wonders of heaven and he took a series of voluntary demotions to come to be the Christmas child. This is what the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Again, in my view, this passage of scripture captures the full weight of the miracle of the incarnation more than any other single passage in the entire Bible. Have you seen a newborn baby recently? You have to have a heart of stone not to be melted by the freshly formed little limbs and fingers and toes of a brand new baby. We have two adopted children and one biological child, and so uh, we only got to witness one birth and one newborn baby, but wow. I mean, when I saw Lily, when she was only minutes old, and I saw the beauty of her little miniature body, I mean, I was astonished. I was just in awe at the miracle of a little newborn child. And you think back to biology class and, you know, where you learned that babies are, uh, they, like they start out like as an embryo. Do you remember that? An embryo? Do you know how big an embryo is? Is half the size of a grain of sand. And so you start out as an embryo. Lily started out as an embryo in my wife's womb. And nine months later, there was this little miniature person that came out and started to breathe and move and cry. Now, the thing about the incarnation of Jesus Christ that many of us really uh, don't think about is that he was something big before he became an embryo. Now, stay with me here. Before you were an embryo, uh, you were nothing. Uh, you might have been a gleam in your parents' eye, but you were nothing. But before Jesus was an embryo, he was the second person of the Trinity existing from eternity past. The writer of scripture says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Did you catch that? Equal with God. I don't know about you, but I think most people think of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, as kind of like an assistant to God, uh, like vice president in the C-suite, junior partner, backup quarterback. But the writers of scripture never teach that. Throughout the Bible, Jesus is carefully described as a full-fledged member of the Godhead, equal with God in every way. 
which means when Isaiah 6 references angels hovering before the throne of God 24-7 since eternity past, singing holy, holy, holy in full voice in perfect harmony, they were singing and glorifying Jesus every bit as much as they were God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1:26, when the writer of scripture says, let us make man in our own image, he means that Jesus was fully involved and present during the entire creation miracle. In fact, I love Colossians 1:17, which says, Jesus was before all things and in him all things hold together. You see, what I'm driving at is not only was Jesus fully God, but all of heaven's privileges were fully available to him. He was fully God in every way, which means if you start out fully God in every way and you wind up in the womb of a 15-year-old girl as an embryo, half the size of a grain of sand, that's a demotion. I mean, any way you slice it, that's taking a step down or a hundred. Question, how do you respond when you experience a little demotion? I was on a flight one time sitting in the first row of economy class, rather proud of being that close to the front. And someone in business class had to move back to economy because there was a ticket mix up in business class. And so the flight attendant had to ask the guy who was in the last row of business class to move back to the first row of economy where I was. I thought this guy was gonna blow a gasket. I mean, he yelled and screamed, it was ugly. And his actual seat location, if you think about it, moved like three feet. I mean, he was mad. He sat down next to me, hyperventilating. Uh, I thought I'd cheer him up, so I said, you know, we're gonna land the same time as the people up there do. I thought he was gonna punch me in the face. I mean, he hated that demotion. He hated it when they pulled the curtain and he was behind it. Truth is, we all hate demotions. And if we get demoted in an organization, we usually leave it. If we didn't get the table that we thought we were gonna get in a restaurant that we made a reservation for, we usually go to a restaurant that will take care of us. If the rental car company asks us to drive a compact car instead of the full-size car that we reserved, I mean, we just go to the next counter and give them our business. No one I know likes demotions. And yet on Christmas day, the single greatest demotion in all of recorded history occurred. The Apostle Paul wrote, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Really? I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, if you were enjoying all the privileges of heaven, would you voluntarily open up your hands and let go of them for any reason? Would you relax your grip on all the pleasures of heaven and let them slip through your fingers? He had only ever known splendor and beauty, worship and adoration, and the very presence of God since eternity past. I mean, that's all he had ever experienced since eternity past. I mean, wrap your mind around that. I think the best description of heaven in scripture is 1 Corinthians 2.9, which says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I mean, we can't even comprehend it. And Jesus, having resided there since eternity past, get this, left it, checked out voluntarily to become an embryo, one half the size of a grain of sand inside a young girl's womb. 
There has never been and there will never be a demotion that dramatic in all of recorded history. But let's go further. Jesus was more than simply willing to leave heaven and become an embryo. He later endured the indignity of being born in an animal stable, surrounded by filthy livestock, wrapped in used rags to keep him warm, laid in a feed trough. And if that weren't enough indignity, an earthly king named Herod engineered a baby genocide so that before Jesus could walk or talk, he and his parents were running for their lives. They became refugees in a neighboring nation. His parents ran for their lives to another country. So now the second person of the Trinity is on the run in a foreign land. I mean, can you get demoted more than that? Yes, you can. Philippians 2.7 says, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. One time Jesus' disciples didn't organize a foot washer to come to a dinner and they were too proud to wash each other's feet. I mean, there's no way they were gonna do that. And so Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, takes off his robe, puts a serving towel over his arm, gets a water basin, and he washes the filthy, stinking feet of each one of his disciples. That's what it means to take on the nature of a servant. Jesus would teach his heart out for hours, giving truths from heaven to people on planet Earth, and people with third grade educations would mock him. I mean, can you get demoted any further than that? Yes, you can. You can be betrayed by someone you poured three years of your life into. You can be deserted by all of your followers in your greatest moment of need. You could be falsely accused of a crime you didn't commit. You can be beaten, flogged, and slapped around like a common criminal by the very people you created and were coming to redeem. But you can't get demoted further than that, can you? Philippians 2.8 says, yes, you can. You can become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And what that means is that the second person of the Holy Trinity who had only ever known sinlessness, his whole existence from eternity past, had the full weight of the sins of the world, including yours and mine, piled on his shoulders. And I have quite a pile. Maybe you do too. And then if you wanna ask, can you get worse than that? You could be stripped of your clothes and you could be pounded to a cross of crucifixion and left to suffer in total humiliation until you die. The author of life, the one who breathed life into Adam and Eve in the very beginning, submits himself to the ultimate weapon of evil, the bane of all humanity, which is death. And that was the ultimate demotion when the giver of life gives up his life and dies. Now I know what you're thinking. You're like, Matt, did you forget this is Christmas Eve? Like we have a party to go to later. Like we have presents to open. Like we're gonna put on our pajamas and watch Will Ferrell Christmas movies. Like whatever you're gonna do, you're like, well, lighten this up a little bit. And I get it. I know you have some wonderful plans. Our family has some wonderful plans too. But for some reason, I wanted you to be in awe at the miracle of the incarnation before Christmas kind of slips past us. I just felt that Jesus deserved one more wow from us before we move on. I want you to realize when you see that little baby in the nativity scene, it's a miracle baby. 
He didn't just come from an embryo, he came from heaven and he didn't have to leave that. And he certainly didn't have to endure the, the serial indignities of a dozen or more demotions ending in death, but he agreed to vacate heaven. He agreed to each of those indignities. He could have called 10,000 angels and stopped it all, but he didn't for the single profound and mysterious reason that he loves you. He loves you. He wanted to redeem you. It was God's only plan. And he couldn't stand the thought of ascending back into heaven after uh, he, he resurrected from the dead and spending an eternity without you. That thought was unacceptable to him. So when the father asked him to leave heaven and do this redemptive mission, he said, I'll go. I'll go gladly. I'll go for individuals. I'll go for everyone. And I hope that makes you feel a sense of awe because Jesus Christ deserves one more wow from us before we just go do our normal Christmas thing. A strange thing happened to me while I was studying and writing this message a couple weeks ago. Uh, the enormity of the miracle of the incarnation hit me in a, in a fresh way. And I was in my office studying and I had to fight off getting emotional on several occasions. And it goes back to the enormity of the love of God who couldn't stand the thought of you living without the love of Christ. He couldn't stand the thought of you spending an eternity apart from him. So he did everything to make this all possible for you and me. Before we're done today, and certainly before this holiday is over, I hope you'll get that feeling of awe in your spirit about what Jesus left, about what he endured, about the serial indignities he went through to win you, to show his love for you, to reclaim you, to restore you, uh, to make it possible for you to be with him forever. Now, let me give you one application from this passage in Philippians. Paul said in Philippians 2, 7, that Jesus took on the nature of a servant. Question, can the purposes of God in this world be advanced in any way, any significant way, without the followers of Jesus taking on the nature of a servant? Think about that. How do the poor receive any kind of help or hope in this world unless a serious-minded follower of Jesus puts on a serving towel and serves the poor, prays for them, feeds them, writes a check that will help them. Someone's gotta be a little demoted to serve. How do wayward people who have wandered way off the path ever find their way back home? Some busy Christ follower has to lay aside his or her carefully laid plans, put a serving towel over their arm and actually seek out those who are lost not get annoyed by them, but actually see their need and move toward them. And then actually take the time to listen and to pray and to love and to understand, to build into them and point them gently to the arms of Christ. Someone's gotta put on that serving towel like Jesus did and do that, or people just go farther and farther away. How do churches like our church function and become unstoppable forces for good in this world? How does it ever happen that we, a church, become a force for good? It simply happens when every single follower of Jesus in the church looks at the example of Christ who volunteers to be demoted from heaven to a feeding trough, from a feeding trough to a wooden cross, all the time serving everyone who crossed his path. 
And when followers of Christ reflect on the example of Jesus's humility and servanthood, and then they're moved to mimic it in their own life, around the house, at work, in the neighborhood, at school, around the church, then and only then do the purposes of God advance in this world. If all of us in this church were to mimic Jesus's example of humility and servanthood each and every day, then we would become the kind of people and the kind of church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. And an un, we would become an unstoppable force for God and for good in our community and the world. In studying this passage several times, I thought, man, I want to be more like Jesus. And my guess is if you study his life and teachings, you'll come to the conclusion that you do too. Which, by the way, we're going to start a teaching series in January on the Sermon on the Mount. And this will be the best teaching series I have ever taught. Uh, simply because it's the best teaching that has ever been taught by the best teacher who has ever lived, Jesus himself. This is what Matthew, the writer of the Gospel of Matthew, said after Jesus finished teaching the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Eugene Peterson wrote a paraphrase of the Bible. I love what he said after Jesus was done teaching. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. And I think we're going to have a similar experience in 2022. And I hope you invite someone to join you in January. I think we'll all agree after studying the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is the best teacher who has ever lived, and we need to be more like him. In closing, uh, which means absolutely nothing, <laughs> I want to read Philippians 2, 9 through 11, these beautiful words that follow the text that we've been looking at. I love this passage. Therefore, which means therefore, because of Christ's willingness to endure all these demotions and so on, therefore... What did the Father do after Jesus achieved his role and did what he was asked to do? What did God do? It says in the text, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I just love this section of the Bible. And normally we think of Jesus as being the only one who's exalted in this whole process. But the writers of scripture actually teach that everyone who humbles himself and takes on the role of a servant will be lifted up. God will honor your life. You know, Jesus was asked one day, uh, who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And his answer, those of you who are servants, those of you who humbly put the serving towel over your arm and mimic what Jesus taught will be lifted up. You will be honored. You will have the same kind of blessing in your life that God put on Jesus. That's the promise. And so here's my final challenge for you. Because the Philippians passage said, have this same mindset in you that was in Christ Jesus, who took all of these steps down because love required it. But we want to be a more loving people this Christmas, don't we? Love is going to require some downward steps. And so here's the challenge to you. Between now and the rest of this holiday season, 
I wanna ask you to do a step or two of intentional demotion. I wanna ask you between now and the end of the year to take a step down, put a serving towel over your arm and serve someone. In a very practical way, serve someone. Someone who can't pay you back. Someone who doesn't necessarily deserve it even. Serve someone. And if you do this, you will live with a higher level of joy and you will feel a greater kinship with the one who took a series of demotions for you. This is the life we're called to. Servanthood, downward mobility, putting others in front of ourselves so that we wind up the blessed ones, the great ones. All right, let me pray for you and then Michaela and the team will lead us in another song. God, I pray for for those who are listening right now, that you would just continue this work in their hearts and in their minds. Help us to reflect on uh, all of the demotions that Jesus had to take to come and be the Christmas child as we celebrate this Christmas. And God, help us to mimic those downward uh, demotions as we put that serving towel over our arm and as we serve someone in our family, someone in our neighborhood, someone in our place of employment in the next weeks. God, help us to be more like you. And I know that's gonna lead to joy and blessing because you tell us it will. So God, would you direct us in this way as we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ this year? And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And we hope to see you on Sunday soon.